0: Our VOC program is not a market research tool, it's a dialogue improvement program. And it's also not a couple of waves per year or one wave per year, but it's a continuous process. So if all goes well, then every week, uh, all the sales reps get at least one or two uh, alerts in their mailbox to start calling back one of those clients.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Account Experience Podcast. Today, we welcome Stefan Visser. He's the Voice of Customer Program Lead at Heineken, Netherlands. And full disclosure, guys, Heineken is one of Customer Gauge's fantastic customers. That being said, this episode is a can't miss. Stefan tells a few great stories of how Heineken's experience program has impacted their business, how their sales team rallies around the customer feedback, and how closing the loop is absolutely key in their strategy. We're excited about this one. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello, Stefan.
0: Hi, Ian. Nice to be here.
1: Yeah, great to have you. So as we always start this this podcast um, we like to ask every guest what does account experience mean to you so give us a little flavor on that if you don't mind
0: well for us account experience is uh, well actually what it says the voice of the customer and for us the customer is the 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 center of what we want to work around at least so at heineken we are uh, working towards a more customer-centric environment so we start to move move, in, move, more and more in that direction. And it's, uh, so therefore also MPS is becoming at least at Heineken Netherlands is one of our core metrics to uh, to follow. Um, so for us, it's, uh, it's, it's crucial to understand what our customers are saying to us uh, so that we can improve our customer journey.
2: And Carrie, you've
1: heard of Heineken once or twice maybe in the past?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> and you know, you, you laugh, you think, wow. I mean, come on, everyone knows Heineken. I mean, the experience is the is the beer. I mean, why a program though? I mean, what's, what's the, and you, you shared a little bit about that being the voice and the core, but why is it so important for you guys to have that experience?
0: Yeah, well, we, of course, we sell our beer to uh, consumers, but uh, we are in our out-of-home business. So we sell it to actually the resellers, so the bars, the restaurants, um, and those are the, our customers. And we sell it. We have a, a tight relationship with them. We have our sales reps visiting them uh, on a, on a frequent basis. Uh, so for for us to understand what uh, what what makes their heart tick is uh, is really important, uh, and also what elements of our services um, are they happy with, but also what can we uh, can we do to improve that relationship, uh, so that they stay happy with us, so that we keep the relationship with them, and that they keep selling our beers towards indeed the end consumers.
2: I think that's an important point. I think not a lot of people understand that, that what you do is you don't just drop stuff off at the grocery stores or to the pubs and, and people buy your product. There's this in-between who represents the Heineken brand and, and, and makes sure the distribution gets to the right places and resells that. And I think that's a, it's, it's kind of something that a lot of people just take for granted and they don't understand that in-between piece.
0: I think what's, what's also very interesting to the, the difference between the bar owner and the supermarket is that a supermarket just sells all types of beer and all brands of beer, but a bar owner makes a selection for the consumer. So in the supermarket, you as a consumer can pick whatever you want, but at the bar, um, there's a limited uh, number of brands that you can pick from. So for us, it's important to be available then in those, uh, in, in those bars.
1: It is super interesting because I think when most people think of like a Heineken uh, experience program, they think of direct to consumer. Um, but there is this this whole value chain approach that I think you guys are taking, which is super interesting, not talked about a, a lot, which is which is interesting as well. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited to dive in here. So I'll kick it back over to Carrie. I'm sure you had a follow up question on that.
2: Well, I I think what I'm hearing here is, can you win the hearts of that bar owner or yeah the bartender who's serving those drinks up or, you know, how does it become a, a, a destination for Heineken? And so I'm starting to hear the answer to like that next question I wanted to hear is, is like, what are the goals of your program? How are you using this to win their hearts over? So Heineken is what they sell.
0: Uh, Yeah, maybe I I gave it away already a little. So where we started, um, when we started with the VOC program is when we created a customer journey. So that's been about two years now that we have a customer journey in place. So we designed a customer journey there. um, And then in order to, uh, to, to be able to improve that customer journey to the full extent, we needed to understand on which of the different touch points we needed to improve so we have a quite extensive customer journey. And then, uh, well, in order to improve it, we first need to start measuring. And that's when I came in uh, to, to start measuring also the uh, the different touch points and the, the level of satisfaction of those different touch points. And that's actually how we how the ball started rolling. And also when we got in touch with uh, with customer gauge on that.
2: You know, we we talk about the journey all the time and how important it is. Are, are you comfortable sharing with us a few Few of your customer journey points, or or ones that you've realized are really important
0: in your program. Now, actually, you are telling us what uh, uh, what the <laughs> important uh, uh, elements of our customer journey are uh, through the survey. So we identified, of course, uh, different sectors. So we have we have the onboarding of the of the customers, and that's not something we put that much into the into the survey um, as such because it's well, it's once, and then you are part of our uh, our customer group. But then uh, there's a cycle of uh, ordering uh, your, your beer, uh, delivering uh, a beer to your, uh, to your doorstep, uh, the account managers visiting you, uh, your connection with our customer services department, uh, the, the financials or, or the, the invoices that you're receiving for us. So those are all different touch points that we really would like to measure on a free, high frequent basis. Um, and that helps us then improving those, uh, those, uh, those touch points.
1: So just to back up a second. So you talked about you're trying to measure the different journey points. You you're you got brought in to help facilitate that. But how did you guys actually like roll this out? So I, I think there's like one piece of like, all right, identify the touch points through surveys, but how did you tactically roll this out? And, and I know your role is, is every single day you're in this. So give us a little bit of detail around your daily operations and kind of how you roll the program out.
0: Yeah, it's... Nice that you ask, it's it's quite funny way we uh, we did that. We just started doing it, and uh, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit of the the Nike approach. Um, so it's it's a nice story to tell. Um, so we, we we were in touch with Customer Gauge. I think it was in fall 2019, and then we just started the started the pilot with you guys, uh, and we took one of our sales regions and uh, started drawing up the survey um, where it's it's still quite the same as it as it was back then we made some slight changes but it was really short survey and started experiencing the power of a voc program and then also that's i think that's one of the moments where we started to learn where the real power of it is and for us that's in that's in closing the closing the loop um, and uh, i remember that we were uh, with uh, the different sales reps who were able to, cl- oh, uh, we, we, uh, we wanted to close that loop. Uh, we were in a, in a football stadium, or you would say a soccer stadium, I, uh, I think. Um, and we were talking, and we, were, uh, we had done the survey, we sent out the survey to, um, I think, 600 clients then. Uh, some of them were responding already and uh, giving us uh, uh, ones and zeros or, or and twos, but also tens and nines, of course. So it was quite balanced, uh, I think our, our MPS score uh, was, was, uh, was quite balanced uh, then. Um, and uh, what we asked to those uh, sales reps is to call back those, uh, those customers, especially the ones who were the detractors. And that's when some anxiety kicked in for some of them, uh, I, I think because uh, it, it's quite scary at first to start calling back a client who gave you a zero or a one just 48 hours ago or or less than that yeah. uh, but all those conversations so of course we sat down with them first and say okay what you need to do first is, is listen and take out the emotion because somebody gave you gave us us as Heineken a zero not you personally but us as Heineken a zero um, and then we need to take out that emotion first so sit down Ask them or tell them thank you for your feedback. We really appreciate it that you uh, took the time to uh, to uh, to take uh, to answer some of our questions, and then start asking them why they are dissatisfied. And then uh, all those conversations turned out positive. So first of all, everybody was surprised that uh, we called back uh, anyway, and then uh, at least within 48 hours was a was an extra surprise. Um, and then they started explaining a bit more why they were not so happy with what we were doing, and uh, then we could really take that uh, take that as a as a uh, as a as, as the feedback that we need to improve either our processes or the individual approach with that client. And um, so most of them they, they started uh, setting up a meeting uh, and um, discussing other things, and sometimes it even it led to uh, to increase of revenue, uh, which is in the end what we are doing it for. Um, but uh, well. what we're doing it for is mainly to get satisfied clients and then satisfied clients should lead to more revenue and uh, it's not uh, it's not intended to be the first outcome of the of the voc program
2: i'm I'm over here just real giddy right now (laughs) because for a couple of reasons first off we just did it we just we just launched it you know it wasn't this this extravagant kind of big plan and we're going to do this staggered or anything and watching you guys kind of be brave and go out there and do that. Um, I did hear you use the word most a lot. So it sounded like most of the team was bought in. They, when they saw the feedback, there was a little bit of apprehension about what do I say or, or, or some fear there. But w- would you say it was mostly bought in? And then how do you tackle some of that resistance? I know you talked about sitting down and, and pulling the emotion out, but was there still resistance at that point? Or do you have a culture now where everyone's just doing it, not even thinking about it? How has that progressed?
0: Yeah, well, at least I'm hoping that we have that. I'm, I'm sure that not everybody is, uh, is on board as much as we would like to be. So uh, the buy-in from, from all the sales reps, but, but also the sales managers and, and, um, and customer care agents, that's something that we uh, need to uh, keep paying attention to. Uh, that will always be a, a pitfall that we need to be, be careful of. Well, I guess, let me, let me pull it down. How, how do you get them interested? It's, it's by starting and it's by explaining about, by, by really taking, uh, putting them also in the center and for them to understand that our VOC program is not, um, a, a market research tool. It's a, what we, what well, we tend to call it more of a dialogue, uh, improvement program. And it's also not, uh, a couple of waves per year or one wave per year, but it's a continuous process. So, um, if if all goes well, then every week, uh, all the sales reps get at least one or two uh, alerts in their mailbox to start calling back one of those clients. Uh, It can be a detractor, but uh, in the end, it's also the the promoters and the passives that we are uh, sending alerts to our uh, sales reps about. Actually, that's something they requested from us. So at first, we were only sending alerts for detractors. So call back those detractors because they are unhappy with us at this point at this point in time um, but then they said okay we we want to hear from all our clients and of course we uh, we have it uh, registered in in our crm system uh, but they just wanted to be uh, really well, close on it so uh, also when they got a 10 they wanted to call that promoter and say okay thank you for your feedback is there anything else we can do for you um, so keep that dialogue going so it was that was also really uh, surprising to us uh, in the in the VHC program that that was the the feedback that we got from the from the sales reps uh, to begin with.
1: I think that's really cool that they requested the additional feedback. I mean, that's such a crazy thing to say out loud because we've talked to a lot of companies in the past that there's resistance and it's it's hard to get buy-in for a program. And when you have the other side coming back to you and saying, "No, we want more of this," like bring it on. I think that that means that you've established something that's very valuable in their minds uh so so bravo i think that's that's hard to do and yeah that's
0: cool no and it was well it's uh, it's it's up to the to the sales reps to do it in the end and to keep believing in uh in the philosophy but it pays out and actually it was yesterday that uh, i had a discussion with one of our sales reps and um he had, uh, well, we published uh, on our, uh, on our workplace, uh, our Heineken workplace, uh, we, we posted that one of our clients gave us a, a zero. And then our, uh, our uh, Horka, uh, director or our, our out of home director, he was asking, okay, I'm curious why uh, this guy is so unhappy. So, uh, and it was all, it was all friendly atmosphere there. Uh, so I gave our sales rep a call. And uh, he explained to me what was going on, and there was something with the finances of the of the guy. Um, but the the funny the, the the process was quite funny also there, because what happened is that the sales rep talked to the uh, to the customer a couple of days before we send out the NPS survey. So the NPS survey goes out automatically. So he he wasn't aware of that. Nobody was aware of that. Um, but. A couple of days before we send out the MPS survey, he could not fix the issue of uh, the customer because well, because of good reason. So there's no issue there, but the customer stayed uh, a bit disgruntled about that. So then in the MPS survey, he was like, okay, now you can have it here, right? So um, I'm not happy with you. So I give you a zero and I tell you in the comments why I gave you a zero. And then let's see what happens here. Expecting nothing to happen from it. (laughs) But what happened the sales rep picked up the phone, called him back within 24 hours, and uh, they already they both they were, they knew what it was about. So the sales rep called the client because um, well because he filled out the survey. So the client said, "Yeah, you're calling because of the survey." And the sales rep said, "Yeah, yeah you filled out the survey because of the financial issues that we're having." And they started the, the conversation, and um, oh, it was a if I uh, uh, he, he told me it was quite of a um a positive conversation in the end and they also work towards a problem uh, towards a solution to the problem and then the customer was uh, was saved also for us and so we have another happy customer and i think it's also where the power lies that if you have um, a customer that is unhappy well if you have a happy customer that's great of course it's great but if you have an unhappy customer and you can make him into an happy customer then it's creating also loyalty so that's really uh, also what's so crucial in the, uh, in the VOC program that we close that, uh, that loop. And This is then what we, what we closed the, the inner loop. So based on the more operational um, elements. I love
2: this because I know when you tell the story, it sounds so simple and it sounds like, oh, no big deal with that. But first off, there's a lot of companies who can't get to that point, yeah. but this speaks to culture in so many ways, having the right people. The right form of communication having everyone almost like a transparency of this is our business this is what we need to do everyone moving in the same direction with the same purpose i i can't tell you how powerful that story is and if- no, well, and
0: this is well this is one of the one of the more uh, multiple examples that we have on this um but it's also well one of the one of the examples so we don't know where it's always happening of course so we keep sharing these kind of stories or at least we want to keep sharing these kind of stories that all these conversations turn out positive and it is that it's about the dialogue with our customers. So, um, if you are in the gastronomy industry, it's, um, it's a relationship business from consume from bar owner to consumer, but also from supplier to bar owner. So that's where it's, uh, well, where we need to make the differences.
1: And just going back to that original kind of like test that you guys sent out of the pilot, was there any big kind of aha moments where you're like wow we need to change this right now and and did you change anything in the business immediately based off of that feedback?
0: Um so that you're referring to what we call the outer loop then so make structural changes in our uh in our customer yes. journey. Yeah. Um well didn't come really from uh from the pilot uh and unfortunately we did the pilot in the end of uh, 2019 so we decided to then okay take a step back to set up a full program so a lot of training uh, um, training material was created also for our, our sales reps. Then we wanted to launch in March 2020. Don't know if you remember what happened in March 2020. At least in the <laughs> Netherlands, all uh, the whole gastronomy uh, um, uh, industry closed down uh, because of COVID, of course. Um, so we needed to push, postpone that. Uh, but then in the second half of last year, then we, uh, we were... Continuously sending out the survey, even when uh, when the gastronomy industry was was uh, was in lockdown, uh, because we wanted to keep keep in touch with our clients. They were not doing any business. We were not doing any business with them. But in the future, we still wanted to uh, continue that business that we did in the past, of course. So we kept surveying them, um, and that's all. Also, when we start finding out more of the things that we needed to improve, so um, one. Uh, one small example, um, but also maybe how we did that, Then maybe also interesting for you uh, to understand how we are taking that uh, more structural changes. So what we call the outer loop. So we we dive into the feedback that we're getting. So we see, for instance, in this case, it was that uh, we saw some negative feedback coming in towards our customer service team. So um, we wanted to uh, to get to the root of that, uh, so we started calling a couple of clients who uh, who, who take that driver in the survey, and then we say, okay, what what is it really that you that you need from us? And it became clear to us that were that there was it was not always clear for all our customers to uh, who they should call with what type of questions, um, and. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a lot of different desks that you can go towards uh, within, uh, within Heineken, when it comes down to finances, uh, invoicing or delivery or ordering all those kind of things. Um, so we wanted to, uh, and if they come in at one point, then uh, for us to, to put them to the right one, we'd rather have them call the right number immediately, of course. So what did we do? And it was really a small exercise, but we created a list of, uh, of phone numbers uh, with a, with a nice infographic. Uh, that we can share uh, with our customers online. They can print it out. I think we even created stickers that they can put on the wall or on their, uh, on their phone or uh, if there's uh, still a, a fixed phone there so that they know exactly who to call for, uh, for what issue. So, um, so that's also how we approach it. So we see something happening in the, in the survey results and just start calling up other clients to see, okay, what do we need to do for you? And, um, sometimes it's a, it's small things. So like, like this ones, but of course there's also larger things that we need to improve in our processes, for instance, our, uh, our ordering platform. That's, uh, that's also something that we could, uh, uh, we could see improving.
1: I, I want to address the elephant in the room. Though. I'm going to pass it off to Kerry. Cause I know you want to talk about this one, but Heineken's a big company. Like you guys are, you're global and you have a massive distribution network, you have a ton of consumers that that obviously drink your, your products. Um, I think going back to your original story of like the shock of somebody following up with them within 24 hours of a survey, that's one thing. But then addressing these types of business issues with agility, like getting getting the phone tree out, getting the stickers. I mean, that that is again, something that is really impressive for, for your size, but also just the fact, like Carrie said, it's, it's built in your culture. You're, you're getting the feedback to start those conversations, but you're also addressing some of the issues that may occur in that feedback that come up through drivers and things like that. So I just want to point that out that that's, that's really hard to do. And I think it's, it's very impressive. So Carrie, I know you got a bunch of things you want to unload too. So I just wanted to point that out.
2: You know, every time I hear the story, I'm just a super fan. I just keep getting excited and wanting to cheer every time you say it. <laughs> These are the things that move forward. And, and listen, you hear Heineken. Heineken's been around for a while. It's, it's not like this young, agile, small company. Ian has a really good point. You guys are a large organization. And I just love hearing the stories. But I guess my question is now, now that you're here, you have a successful program. You know, it's, it's giving you good insights. You guys have a two loop system that you're working. Um, it, it, it really sounds like the dialogue is regular now where what what are the plans where do you, where's the plan for heineken to take this what does the next couple of months look like the next year how are you guys going to grow because something tells me you guys don't sit still very long <laughs>
0: um yeah no we still have a lot to do here um, i think we uh well, we started working on uh, especially on closing the different loops that we have so that's where we well we keep focusing so we start improving and to see where our mps uh, scores are going um but in the same time we are only measuring a uh, a couple of our touch points um so uh, and but not all the touch points are relevant uh, for all customers so we also want to uh, set up a couple of uh, more transactional based uh, touch points so we are expanding the surveys but then uh, there's also the the question coming in okay how many surveys can you actually send to to a single customer um so There's a lot of things that uh, those kind of challenges that that are occurring. So we have the the transactional service that we want to increase and will be great. If we can uh, start increasing it towards five or maybe ten different touch points in uh, in 2021 Um, and in the the same time, uh, we also want to start monetizing uh, our MPS, as you would call it, to start diving more deep on the analytical side. So how we are approaching it now is really pragmatic and we just we see uh, that something is um, uh, have some some element has a negative impact on our NPS score so we dive deep in it and start seeking uh, for opportunities to fix it um, but we can also start monetizing it and look more towards uh, strategizing the the output that we're getting so uh, and that then it comes down to okay which clients should we pay more attention to than others uh, is it uh, in terms of visiting frequency or other thing, other elements of our our our, st- our sales strategies, or uh, should we? Um, what's the difference? Are the differences between different types of clients? So is there a difference between bars or restaurants, for instance, and those kind of analysis. That's something that we uh, just started started doing, and there's a lot of lot more things that we can do on that.
2: Yeah, I love the progression because it's, I mean the initial feedback and the reaction was it's all equally important. So we need to act on it. And now that you've got that rhythm down now, it's like, let's be strategic. If we can weight that by dollars and cents or pounds or euros, wherever we're at in the globe, um, then we can start saying, Hey, maybe there's a group approach to this, but maybe this one needs special touch or special attention. Um, I guess, my other question too, I was really curious because you talked about the different departments and having who to call. How is this impacting the whole organization? How is this starting to bleed into all the different aspects of Heineken and different departments? I was, because I hear you talking about that. Is is is? How are you communicating it? How are they feeding into this?
0: Yeah, well, that's also something we uh, we need to start doing more and more. So we focus a lot on our sales reps because they are um, well the the deep point of contact for our customers. Um, but there's also uh, the other departments that we or what would like to? They would like to get more understanding of their impact uh, on on NPS and what they can do. And now we are getting some questions here and there. But we sh- also should start pushing more and more uh, what we can do for them. Um, and that's also I think where the transactional service can come into play. So, yeah. for instance, uh, uh, after a delivery or uh, or after uh, the, the after a customer has onboarded, so we can understand also the onboarding process a bit a bit better and so those kind of things that's that's really crucial to to get more to the deeper level and also by sharing the results that we currently have based on our approach if we start sharing that more and more in the wide uh company then they will probably come also more towards us to understand more what uh what they can learn from our mps program so it's it's about Spreading, uh, spreading the oil stain. Um, I, I don't know if that's, uh, that's an English expression also, but it's definitely a Dutch one. So we want to uh, expand um, ex- expand the impact that we can make with our MPS, uh, MPS program by, by keep sharing our stories.
2: Yeah, I know, I, I, again, and I, I, I know you're painting this, this beautiful picture, so I, I have to be the bad guy here and ask this question, see how much you're willing to share. What challenges, though, have you run into? So I hear all the things that are working very inspirational. But what were some of the obstacles or some of the things you guys ran into that that makes this a little bit
0: of a challenge? We really got a momentum at the start, but it's uh, with the the bars and restaurants closed. It's it's difficult to to keep that momentum going also. we have a very large uh, stakeholder group to uh, to start to keep the interaction going with, uh, and that that that's really that's the, our main challenge for the rest of the year to really make uh, we call it MPS to the max, so maximize the, the impact that we can make with our MPS program. And uh, the analytics is really the, the big challenge that we need to uh, we need to pick up uh, also because the the trend that we're currently seeing in MPS might not reflect uh, the the current market. Uh, because there's so much going on in the market um, and we uh, we should try to link it with other kind other data points that uh, that are interesting so uh, of course one of the things that pops into your mind uh, first is that you would like to correlate your mps to uh to, to your churn rates for instance can you predict start predicting churn based on your mps results um and that you can can you correlate it with other other figures that uh, that we have available if if we can do those kind of things, then it can make can become even more powerful. But it's well, it, uh, it's difficult to uh, uh, to make that happen. Also in a in a company where uh, resources are becoming more and more limited because we're not selling any beer to our uh, to our bar owners. So that's that's definitely a challenge to uh, to keep that priority high on the list.
1: This episode of the Can Experience podcast is sponsored by CustomerGauge the leading B2B account experience software that ties revenue to your experience data in real time to help you make better account-centric decisions that drive revenue growth. Quick question. What do you guys think is the number one reason B2B experience programs fail? Believe it or not, it's lack of C-suite buying. In Customer Gauge's research with MIT, they found the quickest way to align yourselves with the C-suite is to actually align with what they care about most which is revenue. That's why Customer Gauge is literally built from the ground up to maximize and track the revenue contribution from your experience program in real time. Companies like DHL, Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, uh, yeah, we get a good amount of free bear, One login. Iron Mountain, H&R Block, SuperOffice, and Sugar CRM are already using Customer Gauge to maximize their growth by tying their programs to revenue. And with over $10 billion worth of account revenue actively being managed in Customer Gauge, yeah, that's Billion with a B. They're the leader in the space. But maybe even more interesting, they found that once you get alignment with that C-suite, the needs of these B2B practitioners or the program champions are evolving too. In such a complex account environment, it can be really tough to measure and act on feedback quickly across multiple departments, divisions, or even locations. Luckily, Customer Gauge has you covered there as well, with account-native features that easily help you not only measure the feedback from multiple stakeholders in an account, but act on that feedback in real time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not empowering your frontline staff with the right insights to address customer issues, you're going to be dealing with a churn issue. It's not a matter of if, It's really a matter of when. Customer Gauge helps you distribute this experience data across your entire organization, regardless of department, regardless of location, regardless of division, all in real time. No manual spreadsheets or a team of analysts are needed. Customer Gauge's mission is to help B2B companies harness the power of account-centric growth to drive meaningful change in their businesses. And that's a powerful thing. If you wanna see Customer Gauge in action, go ahead and check out customergauge.com and get a demo of account experience today. You won't regret it.
2: So tell us a little bit, how are you using the, the feedback, the information your program? How are you using it to impact the culture?
0: Yeah, I think um, it's great that you mentioned culture there, because I think it's really important for our customer-centric culture to get really in touch with our uh, with our customers, and our VOC program really helps there. And it's it's about it's the drivers that we uh, that we start understanding more what uh, what's important to them, but it's definitely the the comments that make everything come to life, and also be more in touch with our with our customers. So before we are only in touch with our customers when we visit them or when we call them or when they have a complaint towards us. But now we're also reaching out to them. Uh, okay. What's happening with you and what can we do to help you? And that's really becoming more and more customer centric. And I think that's where we as a, as a company uh, are, want to move towards uh, and that's helping a lot.
2: Yeah. Ian talks about that all the time, but I love it. It's, it's like opening up another channel and 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 being able to listen to just just one more source of that so i love that
1: you mentioned you had a stakeholder group i'm kind of just curious is that and i know the program kind of sits in sales right now for the most part you're you're spending a lot of time getting sales reps up and running because they're the the points of the relationship but is that stakeholder group is that spread across all of the different departments
0: i think one of the really big uh, stakeholders is within our customer care team also who need to do a lot of the operational work once it's uh, pushed forward from the sales team towards them. But we need to make sure that they understand exactly what they need to do and how to close it in a loop. Because if there's an issue with a, uh, one of the customers, um, then they also need to fix it uh, or they, they need to find the right person to fix it and then close the loop back to the customer. So that's where the real value also lies. So it's not only about the sales rep closing the loop about communicate communicating, but it's also about fixing the issue, uh, and that's something that we can do in a not only from our MPS program, but also from a from a larger extent. So so that but that's very operational. But then also from a strategic level, then we uh, start uh, discussing with our with our sales teams, but also with our with our services teams or with our invoicing teams. So okay, what what do you, what can you do to improve and to to keep all those stakeholders on the forefront, uh, of, of MPS, of our, of our MPS program. that's quite difficult there. The small team that we have available, uh, to, to run the MPS pro- program currently.
1: Yeah. That's kind of why I asked because I, I imagine the, um, the, the environment is pretty dynamic, right? Where you have a, a good amount of sales reps, you have a good amount of feedback coming in. You have to liaise with the, the service teams. Um, that's a lot of, uh, lines, dotted lines going on. So, um, Yeah, I just, I wanted a little
2: bit more uh, detail around that. So thank you for that. (laughs) I am curious. So we have this dynamic company of a day-to-day operations. There's a lot of moving pieces here, a lot of data. I know that we're all data geeks and we just love looking at that. It tells a story. But I guess my question is what I would really love to know is then how are you communicating this up? Yeah. So listen, we all have a boss of some sort, whether it's an investor, a board or whoever it might be. But I think that's one of the challenges, too, is how do you then take all this that's happening and communicate that up to them so they can get a snapshot of its success and impact on the business?
0: I think where uh, the power of creating buy-in lies in the, 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 the raw feedback that you're getting from your customers. So uh, that makes it really come to life. Um, so if you start sharing also the the direct comments um, on, 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 a, on a live ticker or uh, or that's a, or share it here and there, so we have a a, a newsletter that's uh, being sent out every week. So there's always there's at least one comment in there, um, and that's that makes it come to life. So it's not the the word clouds that you create with what are the most common uh, uh, topics that uh, that are mentioned in the comments, but it's those one or two that are really uh, that can be really positive or that can be really critical. Uh, but that makes it come to life. And then um, also the management who is already uh, a lot in touch with our with our customers, uh, but they get even more uh, a bigger feel of what's happening within those, uh, uh, th- those co- different customer segments. Uh, so that's, that's really powerful. So it, that, that engages them a lot. Uh, I, I think that's where the power lies.
2: I love that. I, I love just making it come to life with a with yeah. a quote or a statement. And it puts the individual back into the whole process. And I, I, I love that.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Stefan, for joining us on the Encounter Experience podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I know I speak for Carrying and myself. So thank you for joining us.
0: Well, thank you for having me. Of
1: course. And where can people find you?
0: If you want to find me, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn and hopefully soon. And one of our great terraces in Amsterdam or in uh, in any other region in the Netherlands.
1: There you go. We'll take you up on that. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Account Experience Podcast and we'll talk soon.